This is a recording from a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. Well, we have not met yet. My name is Benji, and um, one of the, part of the team here. And tonight, I have the privilege of getting to talk to you guys about the Bible and what it has to say about rest, uh, specifically about the practice and the concept of Sabbath. Now, Sabbath uh, may feel like a distant term for you. Um, it is very, a, very much a Jewish term, and the church kind of dabbles. Uh, with it, and we talk about it sometimes, but if we're honest, we really don't know what to do with it. Um, And so our goal over the next three weeks is to look at the scriptures and to really begin to unpack what was God's heart and intent behind giving us the gift of Sabbath, how it contradicts the narrative of our culture and our day, and how we can recapture the beauty and the essence of what Sabbath was always supposed to be. So we hope that you just journey with us through that. So this week we're going to be looking at the very first mention of Sabbath in Scripture, which is in the first page of your Bible. Um, next week we're going to be talking about when Sabbath was given as a law, uh, when Moses uh, kind of shows up on the scene and the children of Israel brought out of slavery from Egypt, and they're given a, a reminder to rest. Uh, as a way to oppose their way of slavery. And then lastly, we're going to take a look at the New Testament. What does Jesus have to say about Sabbath? What does Sabbath mean for us? Um, and so I'm really, really excited about this. So if you guys have a Bible, um, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read the last verse, and then we're going to read a few verses in chapter 2. Uh, and then we're going to dive in. So Genesis 1, chapter, I'm sorry, Genesis 1, verse 31 says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. But the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Let's pray. Father, we ask that the Sabbath, Lord Jesus, that rest, God, this foreign concept would become real in our lives. Lord, I ask that you would help us to recapture your heart in this regard. Lord, I pray that you would let the scriptures come alive to us tonight in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I have a, I have a problem. Um is that the message I'm teaching tonight is one that I have no mastery over whatsoever. There's, this is not coming from a place of experience. This is not one of those that I would say, follow me as I follow Christ. This is something that I struggle with uh, weekly, daily, is this concept of rest and Sabbath. And I think it's quite funny that although I knew I was preaching this uh, months in advance, I would be preaching on this idea of Sabbath, um, I don't remember a time in my life I've ever been so busy. Uh, my family is moving this week. We're in the middle of packing boxes. I've spent the last four weekends in Los Angeles. We're in the middle of a remodel. 
um, amongst other things. I have four kids, enough said. Um, so there, there is just, uh, and amongst other things, there's just so much going on in my life right now that God in his wisdom would just say, why don't you just go ahead and take a minute and take a look at what I have to say about rest? So if you're willing, I'm going to invite you into journey with me through this. This is not from a place of like, hey, this, is, this works great for me. I, I, it has worked for me in the past, but I'm coming to you. I'm just being honest with you. Cards on the table. This is something I am desperately in need of. And I'm going to invite you to look at this together. We can look at this and what does God have to say and how do we make steps towards healthy rhythms in our life? Um, and because the reality is Sabbath is a gift, but it's a gift that we don't know what to do with and it's a gift that we don't understand the value of. So uh, I was thinking about a few months ago when my wife sent me a picture that um, just shocked me. She sends me a picture of her wedding ring with the prongs and there's no diamond in it. And I'm like, uh, that doesn't look right. Um, so she... Um, and so she lets me know that while in downtown San Diego, the diamond of her ring f- had fallen off. And I believe a, m- a miracle of God, it happened to fall off without her knowing it into a small zipper pocket in her purse. So after touring hours around San Diego trying to find this little tiny diamond, because let's be real, as a youth pastor when I bought it, it's not that big. <laughs> it's a lot of searching. Uh, it was in her purse. So that... Miracle, right? Amazing. Like she found the diamond and so um, we didn't have the money at the time to get it kind of fixed or, and she didn't know what she wanted to do with it. And so we're like, well, let's, um, so she put it in this really cute little box and she put it with her other jewelry. Um, uh, my wife and I, we have three daughters and a son. And so my three daughters uh, on a pretty regular basis love to play dress up. And so they, I remember walking home one day um, and they, they have just full up. And when my daughters dress up, it doesn't make any sense. They don't like dress up like princesses, you know, or gymnasts. They dress up like a combination of everything. It's really weird. And so they're playing and I walk into the room and they're playing with Julie. And all of a sudden we realize, we're like, hey, that's really cute. And I was like, wait, that's the box. And we look at it and the, the diamond's gone. And we're like, uh, girls, where, where's the diamond? And they're like, the what? Like, you know, they're like the really tiny, and Jen's like the tiny, tiny. I'm like, whoa, whoa, okay. <laughs> Isn't that tiny? <laughs> Cut and clarity are awesome. Um, so, and, and they're like, we don't know. And we're like, what do you mean you don't know? And so they're in this room, and so I'm like, everyone out of the room, right? And I'm just like, and I just clear them, and I just start inch by inch just combing through the carpet because it's that small. And um, just trying to find this diamond. And like 40 minutes later, in one room, we find this speck, right, of a diamond. And, um, and we're just like, and we're just sit down, and we're like, guys, you can't play with this box. You can't. This is mom's diamond. And they're just like, okay. Um, like, we're not that impressed. I'm like, I know. So, so we, we get it back into this place. And, and I, was, I was thinking about that moment and how frightened we were because like, you don't know how valuable that is. And I wonder if, if God sometimes looks at Sabbath and his people because you have no idea how valuable this is. You have no idea what you're missing out on. You, you, you throw it away and you play with it and you get to it if you can, but you are missing the richness of this gift that I've given you. And by the way, this, this happens all the time. In 1991, 
Someone at a flea market, true story, bought a frame for $4. Two years later, a friend of his was looking at the back of that frame and realized that there was a first edition copy of the Declaration of Independence. So this $4 frame ended up being sold for $1 million, right? There's a contractor who found out $182,000 in a wall that he was remodeling. Not at this church. <laughs> I wish, Lord, if you want to. Um, just cleaning, just right, demoing a wall and just stumbles upon a small fortune, right? A $3 Chinese bowl that was sold to, to Sotheby's for $2.2 million because it was a part of an ancient dynasty. Famously, a California family who stumbled upon a cannibal coins in the backyard ended up being valued at $10 million. There's all of these, I, we, we love those stories because we're like, that was there all along? What? You just found, you stumbled upon it. And I, I feel like that's a great analogy for Sabbath. It was there all along? This stuff is great. What an awesome idea, God, that you would actually have us rest. No idea how to do it. It's a great idea. And we want to discover the value of it. And that's really our goal, goal tonight because we're awful at it. Matter of fact, I was, as I was studying for this week, I opened, um, I was reading CNN and this article and one of the top headlines comes up. The headline reads, this, South Koreans are working themselves to death. Can they get their lives back? And I went on to read about how the South Koreans have this word, Rosa, which means death by overwork. And it tells story after story of people who are found dead after working 70 and 80 hours a week. And so the government in South Korea, Korea is literally legislating laws that you cannot work over a certain amount of hours. And if we're like, wow, that must be bad for them, we're not any different. Right? We praise and we worship busyness and productivity like as if it is the meaning of life when truly it robs us of it. You know, we are 37% busier than we were in the 1950s, which I, I'm surprised it's not more. Just, just filling our time. I, I was... I read an article that under the Nixon administration, there was a sub, subcommunity in the Senate that was tasked to do research on the future. And their findings came up that by the year 1985, that Americans would only work 27 hours a week, 22 weeks a year. That was their prediction. Then a short amount of time, because of all of the technology, because of all of the time-saving devices and how cars and planes are getting more efficient and computers are starting, I mean, they're, they're looking at this like, people aren't going to even have to work. This is going to be fantastic. And they didn't even know about the internet and iPhones. And I could literally sit with an Apple Watch, which I don't have, but Christmas is coming up if anyone wants to. I could sit out surfing and answer emails and take phone calls. I, I, there's nothing we can't do faster and quicker than ever before, and yet we've never been more busy. It's as if the problem is time, but the solution is not more time. You realize we've never had more time at our hand, fingers than ever before simply because of the technological era we live in. We've never been given more opportunity to have time, and yet we've never been busier. I, 
I'm under the curious suspicion that maybe the problem is not that we need more hours in the day or better technology or better systems. Maybe we just suck at resting. We just don't know how. We don't know how to stop. A.J. Swoboda is a professor at George Fox University in Fuller Seminary. He, he wrote this book I'd highly recommend. It's called Subversive Sabbath, The Surprising Power of Rest in a Nonstop World. And um, wonderful book. He's one of my favorite authors. And I had the privilege of getting to be with him last weekend. And I was asking him all these questions. And so there's a lot that I'm going to be saying. And I just want to tell you up front, I just take it right from him. Because he got his PhD in Sabbath. I did not. So I'm just going to give you just some... Um, just some things that I've taken away that have been life-changing for me. There's a couple, couple of things that he said. He says, in a world of doing, gain, and producing, we have no use for a gift that invites us to stop. He quotes another philosopher from the 50s and saying, it is not a sign of health to be well-adjusted to a sick society. Come on. Wait, yet... The, the church, maybe it's the worst at it because we do it in the name of God. It's work to do. With this in mind, let's, let's read Genesis chapter 2, the first three verses again, and let's begin to unpack what was really happening here in the text. And it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now this, this story right here is alarming, not maybe just to us, but to an, an audience in the ancient world. And here's why. Because this is not the first narrative that was written about creation. There's actually um, the Epic of Gilgamesh, the Babylonians, the Akkadians, the Egyptians, all had narratives about the foundation of the world, how it came to be. But there's really three things that stick out about the creation narrative in Scripture that differ from the other ancient creation narratives. Uh, the first one being that every other ancient creation narrative deals with chaos and darkness and anger. And this creation narrative deals with beauty, order, and goodness. Again and again, it says, it was good. And it ends in climax, it was very good. The second thing, which I love, and you ladies should love, is the thing that stands out about the creation narrative is its placement of women in the story of it. And every other ancient narrative in this, this highly male-dominated society, women were viewed as objects or tools just to bear children. And in the Judeo-Christian creation narrative, women are not only presented in the story, it says that they, equal with man, were made in the image of God. This would have been shocking to its original audience. And the third thing, and thing we're going to be focusing on tonight, is that the God in this story does not command his people to work seven days a week. You see, we serve the God who invented the weekend. Can I get an amen? Come on. This is our God. And so this is, this is again, an alarming thing. Like, what do you mean you don't work seven days a week? No, no, no. In this story, you stop and you rest 
And also what we find is that in every single one of these ancient mythological gods, what they find themselves at the end of the creation story, what they leave humanity with is with a temple. This is where I dwell amongst my people. But at the end of the creation narrative, you don't see a temple erected. You see a time set apart. It's weird. It's odd. What? Where is the temple? Where does God meet with people? But God is essentially walking with them. He's just dwelling with them. What he gives them is time, not a place. And again, this is this is alarming to them. Abraham Joshua Heschel, who's a, who's a Jewish rabbi, writes that the Sabbath is the architecture of time. It was the building of time put together. And, and, and this, in this moment, he looks at this period of time and he calls it holy. And this is a big deal for a couple of reasons. Number one, is whenever you see the word holy, this is, means that this means this is of God. This is a part of who God is. But beyond that, this is the first time the word holy is ever used in all of Scripture. And in hermeneutics, or the study of the Bible, whenever the word is used for the first time in a story, it's called the law of first mention. And it means it has a special significance because every other time it's used throughout the rest of the Bible, you can refer back to this to understand its meaning. And so the very first time holy is ever mentioned is in regards to rest. Come on. This holiness looks like Sabbath. So when God is holy, it means he is not in a hurry. He is not chaotic or frantic. He is at rest. When he calls us to be holy, we can look at the Sabbath of what that means to be that. And so as we we find this, I was thinking about this idea of, in the culture, they would, temples were holy, but for the Jews and for the Christians, time is holy. And um, before we lived in San Diego, when I met my wife, we served at a church in East L.A., in a little town called El Monte, and it was um, very much in the inner city of L.A. There was a lot of gang activity and prostitution, and at the same time, it was just this beautiful community of people finding Jesus in um, all sorts of uh, really kind of hard places of their life. It was beautiful. But one of the interesting things that would happen is I was the youth pastor slash janitor, and um, I was the janitor, you know, <laughs> let me hang out with youth. Uh, but, but one of my jobs was I would have had paint over the graffiti, which was, would happen pretty much every week. But what was interesting, I started talking to one of our security people who was an ex-gang mem- member. His name was T.O. Charles. And we were asking him, I'm like, why do they tag the youth building but not the sanctuary? And he's like, oh. He's like, they don't know that's a church. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, yeah, they don't, that doesn't look like a church. That's why they tag it up. I'm like, so you're telling me that, like, gang members won't tag a church? And he's like, no, why would you do that? God lives there. <laughs> Good point. And, and I love that in, in, this, in this culture where it seemingly like all morals are out the window, they wouldn't touch the building because it was reverent. But they would go and vandalize the building next door. And I was thinking about us, and I was thinking about how funny it is, but I was also thinking like, well, if... If the place and the building is not holy, but time is holy, 
Maybe our problem isn't vandalizing buildings. Maybe we've been vandalizing time. Maybe we have been defacing the gift of Sabbath. And we treat buildings with more reverence than the day that God gave us to just stop. We vandalize it with busyness and Netflix. (laughs) And all sorts of other great things. We don't know know what it means to stop. One of my most compelling things I've stumbled upon through this story is the reason we rest. This This might seem elementary to you is because God rested. You see, maybe one of the most amazing things about Scripture that tells us is that you were made in the image of God. We rest, not because it was just a command. We rest, not because we're religious. We rest because we are God image bearers. So when people look at us, when we look at people, when we rest, we are properly reflecting who God is. And what a better time. I mean, could we just think that maybe evangelism looks less like passing out tracks and more like you living in a restful rhythm? And the way that we would live, where people would look at and say, man, how do they have so much peace? How do they find time to stop when I can't seem to find that anywhere? And what we can do is point to, you know what? We rest because God rests. And he invites us into that gift with him. AJ also in his book says this. He says, Sabbath reminds us that we are not as important to the world as we may think. And we are overwhelmingly more important to God than we realize. When I I feel anxious, stressed, it's oftentimes because I think that I'm the savior of the world. My world, at least. If I don't show up, if I don't get this done, if I don't respond like this, if I don't present this, if I'm not there, then what's going to happen? And the Sabbath reminds me, it'll be fine. But do you realize in that same moment as you rest, you realize that it's within the rest that you are recognized that you are so loved by your Father, by your Maker. I love that humanity's first day, and maybe you realized this before, but it's always good to be reminded, the very first day of humanity's existence was the Sabbath. So Adam and Eve's first time in the Garden of Eden, we are alive, we're together, this is amazing, was the day to rest. Our introduction was to enjoy. The word Sabbath carries with it this connotation of celebration. It's celebrating the goodness of God. Karl Barth, who's a, an older theologian, wrote this, the first day of humanity's existence, there was nothing to celebrate but God and his creation. How good is that? They couldn't even point to anything they had done. They couldn't have been like, Eve, check out this Lincoln Log house I built. Awesome stuff, right? 
He was like, check out my garden. This is so amazing. They had nothing to point to other than like, how good is God? Do you see what he's made? Do you see how he loves us? And that was all that they had to do. And I believe that the Sabbath was never supposed to be anything but that in the first place. Just to stop and to see how good God is. You see, I believe that the Sabbath is the very first time we see a glimpse of the gospel. Because what the gospel is, is that God has done all of the work on the cross, and we have done nothing. We receive all the benefit of all of his work. This is what the gospel is. And Sabbath is our first taste of that. Wow, God, I get to enjoy all of this, and I haven't worked for a single thing. And it doesn't mean that I don't ever enter into work. It doesn't mean that I get to join you in your work, in the redemptive beautifying work of building creation. But he's saying it doesn't begin there. It begins with gift, with grace, with Sabbath, with rest. This is our starting point. And he also says that the Sabbath teaches us that we do not work to please God. Listen to this. Rather, we rest because God is already pleased with the work that he has accomplished in us. Oh, man. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord. See, Jesus always got in, in trouble on the Sabbath. Always. Because it confused them the same way it confuses us. See, for them, the, the Sabbath was the focal point of their religion. But the religion, but religion chokes out Sabbath because Sabbath is a gift, and religion doesn't know what to do with gift. It doesn't do with earning and work. And so Jesus would be walking around and healing people on the Sabbath, and they would just be like, What are you doing? And one of the times this happens in Mark chapter two. They're walking through and they start picking grains, and the Pharisees are like, You can't do that. It's the Sabbath. And I love Jesus' response to them in Mark 2, verses 27. He says, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I mean, he corrects them by saying, you don't get it. You're using Sabbath to rob humanity of the beauty of God's redemptive power in this world. When the Sabbath is a gift to you. And, and, and the reason I bring that up is this is messy stuff. This is messy. I told you, this is, this is something I am not operating in, in, in some sort of level I'd even want to show you. I'm not doing this well. This week I literally tried the Sabbath and it was a mess. I turned off my phone for a couple minutes, turned it back on, and like the contractor saying this, and that person I forgot, oh, I got to pick up my kids. And I'm like, I'm like, whoa, this is why I don't Sabbath. <laughs> the rest of the day, I was so thrown off. I was impatient with my kids. I was short-tempered and irritable. And at the end of the day, I was like, that was a fail. <laughs> and not, that was not Garden of Eden status right there. You guys, it's messy. But I'm convinced that there's a value in it that I've yet to untap. You have to figure out, and I want it so bad. 
I don't think I'm that great. But I think God is. And I think when I just stop and rest, I just, what happens is I let go of my work. I just realize that God's already been working in me, despite of me, through me, with me. And I know there's some of you guys sitting in the room right now and you're like, I work three jobs just to pay the bills. Yeah, awesome. Cool, Benji. I'm glad you get to rest. I know there's some of you in this room, we had some people in the last room who were single moms. Like, I don't get to, I don't get to do that. But if you hear anything, please hear this. It is a gift. If this is weighing on your shoulders as another thing to do, then let's start over. It's a gift. It's an invitation to rest. And maybe for you, you literally cannot stop because if you did, you would lose your apartment. You would lose your job. But maybe for you, Sabbath looks like a commute to work. Maybe it looks like getting up 20 minutes earlier and taking a sunrise walk. Maybe it looks like for you on Tuesday nights and as you put the kids down to bed, you just don't turn on This Is Us (laughs) until the next day (laughs) when it's on NBC for free. I don't know. I don't know what the details are, but what I'm going to ask you, this is kind of the simple challenge. Find time to stop. Some, Some of you guys have tomorrow off. Great. Sabbath. Rest. Go outside. Something else just practically I would challenge you to do that I've found is one of the hardest parts but has been the most effective for me is turn off your phone and just sit it there and watch how many times you just start grabbing for it. Isn't it weird? Do you guys ever get the phantom vibrations like in your like pocket or your like purse and you like pick it up and it's like dead and you're like, oh, I knew that. (laughs) so embarrassing. I'm just like, man. And it's not that phones are bad. They're a gift, but find time. Find time just to stop and enjoy what God has done, what he's given you. Uh, Ten things. This is from Haley Barton, who wrote a book called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. Ten signs you are moving too fast through life. See if any of these connect with you. None of them do for me. Um, Irritability, hypersensitivity, restlessness, compulsive overworking, numbness, escapism, behaviors, disconnected from our identity and calling, not able to attend to your own human needs, hoarding energy, slippage in spiritual practices. I mean, I look at this list, and I don't know who Haley, I don't know Haley Barton, I look at that, I'm like, have you been following me? (laughs) Describing my life right now? I need this so bad. I need it so bad. And um, I think our Father is okay with us taking step towards something. Not you don't have to feel like all of a sudden you wake up and you're like. Friday night at sundown to Saturday night at sundown, no electricity. <laughs> I mean, may, cool, if you can, fantastic. 
Um, I can't, I, I long to, to be there. I would love to have a 24-hour window. Um, and with young children, it's, I, there's, there's part of me, I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work, but if, you, if you're with me, could we just take a step towards it this week? Just towards rest, towards Sabbath. And in the next couple weeks, let's take another step and another step. And when we begin to start looking like a church that looks like God, because we rest. I love that we're talking about this before holiday season and before travel and buying gifts and things getting busy and Christmas parties and eggnog. I love eggnog. <laughs> Side note. Um, but what do we just, would we enter the holidays differently with a different rhythm? Pat, if, Pat, if you can come up here and just play. I'm, I'm going to invite us to do something because what better time to Sabbath than right now? I have all of you right here. <laughs> You're not going anywhere. Um, you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> How long is it going to take? I shouldn't say crap on a podcast, so you edit out. <laughs> you're like, no one listens. It's okay. <laughs> it's true. Um, but let's just, take, let's just take a moment, and let's just... Be- because we're here, we've already taken time out of our weekend and our night. Let's just sit. I'll shut up. And let's just listen to God. Let's just rest. If you doze off, man, that's probably a sign that this is exactly what you need, right? I mean, no judgment there. But let's just rest. Let's, let's Sabbath right now in this moment. Let's let it be holy. Let's let this time be holier than the brick and mortar around us. Amen. Let's let this moment be where God meets us.